Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a July 11th edition of the MSP Initiative, MSP Talk. Uh, today, we have a new voice to the channel, but before we do that, we're going to go through some basic housekeeping that we do at the beginning of every one of these sessions, because it's just better to get it out of the way at the beginning. So, mspinitiative.com. You will find this and every other session we've ever done recorded in podcast and video formats. You can always go backwards in time and see what's what. Uh, we also have our MSP Community Minds event coming up in Denver, August 14th and 15th. We have tons of minds from around the community, both MSPs and experts, who are either going to be talking to you in panel or workshop format. So this is absolutely 100% free to register if you're an MSP. And our goal is to use this to help pay back the community and try and help you a little bit while we're doing that. So we parked the bus, and now we're going into more of a formal format, but not trade show style, more, hey, we want to teach you something and we want you to be interactive. So check out MSP Community Minds again, coming up next month, 14th and 15th. Then we have our MSP Community Block Parties. We have three left for the year and surprise, they're all in Florida. Mm -hmm. Fort Lauderdale, we have the uh, MSP Community Boat Party. This is a five-story uh, mega yacht that we're doing uh, in addition to uh, our friends at the Taylor Business Group Big Bay Conference, but you don't necessarily have to be going to that conference to do uh, this boat party. And again, if you're an MSP, absolutely 100% free for you to join, uh, food, beverage, entertainment, all included. But we'd love for you to take a look at the Big Bay Conference as well. It's going to be at the Diplomat Resort in Fort Lauderdale. And if you've been around the industry for a while, you know that that is a popular place for a cool event. So check it out. We also have the DattoCon Miami event. Uh, so we'll be doing a block party around that as well. And then lastly, our big one to close out the year is the one in Orlando. Last year, we did the All-American Rejects. This year, we will be announcing our band who will be performing for the community shortly. We have MSP Community Offers. We have a handful of companies that threw in special offers for the community. So check those out. Nothing but you know some cool specials for you. And lastly, our industry calendar, which is just our homework that we did you know, coming into the year so that you know everything that's going on uh, on the calendar. And if we're missing anything, feel free to submit your event um, that we should have on the calendar and we will try and add it for you. And that is all of our housekeeping at mspinitiative.com. So now that all of that's out of the way, we'd like to bring on Chip Reeves from Bigger Brains onto the show for the very first time. How are you doing today, Chip? Hey, George, I am doing great. How are you, sir? You know, always out and about, uh, never uh, never sitting at home for too long, although I'm sure the other half probably doesn't like that. <laughs> I digress. Uh, where are you based at? We're based out of Anderson, South Carolina, kind of halfway between Atlanta and Charlotte, a little south of Greenville. Awesome. So for anyone that doesn't know you well, Chip, we always like to start these sessions, especially if it's the first time you've been on, the little like journey down history right like how did you get into the industry like where did you start from and where did you end end at today and like that gives us a good background going into all the other stuff sure so i started uh i was in college for computer science at georgia tech this was back in the 80s which is why my hair is gray and uh i was working at kmart selling tvs which is a very old-fashioned sentence and there was another guy there who was fixing people's computers on the side, and they were paying him like 25 bucks an hour. It was an obscene amount of money. 
And I thought, I got to get me some of that. Uh, and so I started a computer repair business about 89. I uh, grew that into my first MSP, um, leveraged that to uh, join up with a, a, a couple in Australia who had started a franchise called Computer Troubleshooters. We brought the concept over here, built Computer Troubleshooters into a global franchise for managed services. At our peak, we had about 480 locations in 33 countries. And then uh, 2011, and built another couple of locations along the way. Uh, 2011, we were doing a lot of research in computer troubleshooters. My job at that point was basically helping the MSPs who are part of our franchise, helping them be successful, right? So I was always looking at you know, vendor deals, uh, business models, uh, you know, what kind of, what was in our solution stack? What did we need? What else were our customers asking for? Things like that. One of the things that bubbled up in the research was that we were getting requests for training, end user training, mostly around like um, Microsoft Excel back in those days or QuickBooks or HIPAA training. And we didn't have a great solution for it. Some of the guys had like, you know, was doing one-on-one -on -one training or a couple of the guys had like uh, classrooms they'd built out and things like that. But we had built out an online training platform inside computer troubleshooters so we could train all the franchisees. And we had the idea to take that same type of platform, load it up with the kind of content that our small and medium business customers could use, uh, and then spinning it around, making it something our franchisees could monetize. Um, just happened to be that was a good time for me to sell computer troubleshooters. And so the new owners didn't want to get involved in training at all. So I took that idea and that became Bigger Brains. So that's what we are today. We're a training platform for MSPs to offer to their end users. That is very intriguing. I want to dive into the story for a little bit, though, because this I always learn new things every time we talk to somebody on here. So like this concept of franchising, it's not new, right? We see this mm -hmm. in a lot of industries. There's only been a handful of companies in IT MSP land to try and like go down this road. Um, why, what, what, what led you to franchising with computer troubleshootings? Like, why did that, you know, some people just want to like rule the world, right? Mega corporation, you know, kind of thing. Like, where did that concept really come from? Well, it, it's probably something you could appreciate. I, I think in my early uh, days with my first business, which was called Chip Tech Computer Services, um, I, I, I kind of had an, a loose association with some others in the industry, right, who had similar type businesses. Some of them were doing computer repair. Some of them were doing networking. Uh, one was doing telecom. Uh, one had a retail store. One was doing printer repair, you know, that kind of thing. And we would support each other and help each other out in growing our businesses. But 10 years later, they were almost all out of business. Uh, and we were still around and we were growing. And I realized that I had, you know, I, I had certainly made plenty of mistakes along the way. But I had learned a lot, too, and I felt like there was an opportunity to help new people getting started with a new IT business to not have to make some of the same mistakes that I had made. Uh, it, it seemed in the early days, too, one of the big things with franchising is economies of scale. Um, I mean, with franchising in general. So like, you know, McDonald's, I presume I haven't actually owned a McDonald's. I've eaten it plenty. Uh, but they, the, the, you know, they're probably, they're probably paying less for their hamburger meat than they would just go into the grocery store. Right. So that you've got some kind of vendor deal that's getting you a discount. Um, and, and that sort of thing is pretty prevalent in franchising that didn't really, we had ideas in the early days that that might be a thing with computer troubleshooters doesn't really apply so much in our business. I mean, there is a little bit you could do. We had deals with Dell for a while and things like that, but as the world moved into managed services, it was just too different. We could get a little bit of a discount with uh, continuum back in the day. But um, yeah, it became that became less of a deal. The biggest thing became the mutual support 
um, building out any kind of centralized resources. So like centralized marketing repositories, um, centralized support. So if like one person had an issue with a, you know, a, a VoIP project, we had a list of the other locations that were big in VoIP and things like that. And all kind of working together under the same brand. So there's no fear of like, you know, stealing each other's customers or competing against each other because everybody had their own defined territories and things like that. So there's a lot of different ways to to skin that that uh, whatever you call it, uh, you know, to to crack that nut. But franchising is kind of a unique approach to it. And and you're right. There's been five or six uh, franchises in the IT channel over the years. A couple of them are still around. I know CMIT is still around. I think Team Logic is still around. Computer Troubleshooters is still around too. Um, you know, some have done it better than others, but that's the idea. The idea is to build a network that support each other to leverage those kind of economies of scale, leverage common knowledge, and hopefully build off of an established business model that keeps you from having to make a lot of the same mistakes that you know everybody else has made. The challenge you get with our business, as you know, is business models don't stay static for you know a long period of time. Like you know, McDonald's today is not that different from McDonald's 20 years ago. I mean, yeah, there's some new stuff on the menu. There's, you know, maybe they've got the drive-through tech a little more, whatever. But overall, the business model is kind of the same. You know, the IT industry, especially going from, you know, the VAR to the consultant to the MSP to the CSP model, you know, it, it's, I think franchises really struggle with that because it's hard to know at the franchise or level how fast things are changing on the ground and how much to keep up with that. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, no question that technology, I do say changes rather quickly because that's we're in a fast paced business. Some things do stay the same, let's be honest. True. Uh, but, the, you know, the, the way that you package things, present things, you know, sell, you know, the wrapper around what's happening it does get adjusted. Um, it's curious, right? Like, a lot of people in IT land, kind of like you, right? Like, you started, you know, you started in a basement, a garage, a backseat, your trunk, the backseat of your car, and then like you eventually grew over time and, and learned what you needed to learn. Like the franchise model is interesting. So like as a, if somebody were to go into that today as an IT services company, is there some sort of upfront investment or like how, do, how does the structure of that work? It, it's going to vary a lot depending on the franchise, but in sort of a classical franchise model, yeah, there's going to be some kind of an upfront purchase. Could be anywhere from twenty thousand to two hundred thousand. Um, a big part of that is what are you getting? You're definitely getting some type of territory, um, which is really as good as as you know the the value of the company, right? You know, a, a territory for McDonald's is a big thing. A territory for a restaurant nobody's ever heard of. That's a different sort of thing. Yeah. Um, some of the franchises I know back in the day. Now it's been ten years, thirteen years since I've been out of it. But uh, some of the some of the franchises would include like tools. Some would include vendor subscriptions. Some would include a parts inventory, depending on what it was. For a while, Geeks on Call included a car uh, because a big part of their branding was a branded PT Cruiser, and so the PT Cruiser was part of the initial purchase back in the day. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so it just depends. Signage might be a part of it, depending on what it is. With and then beyond that, uh, there's generally you know obviously a certain amount of training, obviously a certain amount of support a lot of like marketing collateral, hopefully some software systems, things like that. Uh, but then the ongoing support and knowledge. And for that, the franchisee generally also pays a percentage of revenue, right? So, you know, the yeah. McDonald's franchisee, when you buy a $6 cheeseburger, you know, the local franchisee probably gets four bucks from that, you know, two bucks goes to head office. 
with an IT franchise, that's been kind of the hardest part to figure out. Most of them still do a percentage of revenue. It might be 5% or something. With computer mm -hmm. troubleshooters, we were very different. We just did a flat fee per month. So basically all of our franchisees were paying a monthly membership fee. And that's what covered our centralized support, our centralized system, the kind of ongoing research and development and, and that sort of thing. Interesting. I mean, listen, um, everybody has a slightly different recipe. Since we're talking about mm -hmm. McDonald's. Um, it's just, you know, to your point, some people would rather have the blueprint set for them than having to figure everything out on their own. Right. Mm -hmm. And then come into like a more mature business model, hopefully, or like things are laid out for you. And then like that way you have somebody to rely on, like in the back in the day, you relied on other people and other businesses. Right. I guess mm -hmm. in the franchise model, you know, like the, the corporate entity behind it is obviously the people, you know, and the other franchisers, franchisees in the model, you could obviously figure out what works, what doesn't, right? From other people in the trench. Um, does, you know, is there a reason why you think the companies that are, you know, like Computer Troubleshoot, you said, TMIT, TeamLogic, why did they make it and the other guys didn't? I mean, in any industry, there's always going to be some people that didn't really have a well thought out business plan, right? I mean, th there was a time and and you've been around almost as long as I have. So like, you know, th th there was a time when the way to make your money in this business was through like, you know, building custom PCs and selling boxes, right? Or selling hardware. That was that was a thing. And so there were some of the early ones that kind of really built their model around that. And if you've kind of made that your, you know, the, the heart of your business, it is so hard to shift, you know, to a services model. Um, if you've built a services model around break fix, and that's what all of your, you know, DNA is as a company, making that shift to managed services is, you know, almost as hard. Especially because, what do you do? You know, it's one thing if it's your business and you kind of, you know, do the research and you say, okay, here's pros and cons of a break fix model or a consulting model, pros and cons of a managed services model, and you make that decision for you. But if you're a franchisor, and you've got 100 locations, and you go to make that decision where you say, okay, from this point forward, we're going to be a managed services you know, business, you got to get all those 100 locations on board, or else you've got to you know, have a hybrid model where now you're supporting two different models, right? So you got some that came on board with the new train, some that are on the old train. Uh, I, I will say CMIT, I think, did a really good job of that, probably a better job than I did with computer troubleshooters back in the day, to be honest, because when we shifted computer troubleshooters to manage services, we still left the door open for people to be break fix. And part mm. of that was, you know, we weren't fully committed to the model. Part of it was we weren't sure, like, you know, we had some locations in very rural areas, you know, was managed services going to work as well there as it would in Atlanta or Philadelphia or New York or whatever. Um, so we left the door open to both. And I think as a result, uh, that kind of watered down our efforts, you know, because then we had to build double the marketing material. We had to have twice as much support. It means we really couldn't do as much. Uh, CMIT, and I wasn't involved, but I, I know the, the leadership team that was there in the day, and this is my understanding, was they took a look at it. They made the decision that managed services was the future. And they basically went to the franchisees. Again, this is my understanding. It may not be correct. They went to the franchisees and said, look, this is what we believe the future is. We want you guys to come on board with it. But if you don't agree. If you think that, you know, you still want to stay the way you are, that's great. Uh, you're not going to be part of the franchise anymore. You can't use the name anymore. You can't use the brand, but you're welcome to keep doing your business and, you know, go make it into, you know, Tony's computer shop or whatever. But, and, and that was, you know, they lost a lot of locations when that happened. 
but it also meant the ones that were there were very focused on the new model and making it happen. So, you know, it's, it's a choice and sometimes those choices work and sometimes they don't. And over a long enough time period, everybody makes some good choices and some bad choices. No, fair, fair. A quick question about, and I get this all the time because I do a lot of traveling myself, but um, a lot of people think that the IT services and managed services business uh, is drastically different from country to country, region to region. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned that you had hooked up with some of the people down in Australia, for example. What's your opinion on um, what's your opinion on the localization part of it, especially when it comes to what it looks like between different countries? So there's there's the reality of that, and then there's the perception of that. Um, and what I mean by that is um, there's definitely some differences in some countries, no doubt. Uh, but for some countries, you know, Australia, Canada, UK, Ireland, uh, they're pretty similar to the US in terms of the business model, right? They're, they're, a lot of that's going to carry over. The language is mostly the same. But when you're in a franchisee, franchisor relationship, there's always some tension there. And it's a really easy thing for the franchisee to say, well, this might work in America, but this doesn't work in Australia. Australians will never go for this, right? And so it adds a layer of complexity if they don't feel like it's been localized you know, to them. But then there are also definitely places, uh, both outside the US and inside the US. I talked about you know, rural locations. It, it is a very different model in a very rural area versus an urban area. Um, but in some countries, for, for example, the first time I really saw this in action, our first locations in Malaysia, and this is uh, 2004, 2005, so going back about almost 20 years now, they uh, they found great success with these, uh, I forget what you call them, they're basically um, uh, uh, multiplexed KVM kind of boxes where you can have one computer and have two people working on it, each with their own keyboard, their own uh, mouse, their own uh, monitor, they're working in separate instances, but it's one box. Hmm. And digging into it, the reason was because labor costs were very low in that country compared to the cost of capital. So a you know compared to the, the salary for a person, the price of a computer was very high. And so they found a lot of small and mid-sized businesses that were thrilled to buy a $100 setup that would let them take one PC and let two employees use it at the same time. That was a huge seller for them in that era. I'm sure it's different now. That would never fly here in the US. You know, that, that's, that, that's not a thing that, that we would ever do. So we saw some differences like that. You certainly saw differences with, uh, you know, legalities in some areas, uh, you know, the insurance and the regulations you had to go through, particularly in the Eastern European countries, that was always a challenge. Um, so yeah, th there's a little bit of that, but you know, the fundamentals at the end of the day is you're providing a value to your customers and you're setting a fair exchange rate, whether it's monthly or, you know, per project for what you're doing. And then you're just positioning yourself and promoting that value out. I mean, that, that fundamental is always the same. And then what you build on top of it, you know, that, that's where it can change a little bit. Fair. No, I mean, I, one thing that I found through all my travels, uh, I've spent, you know, Good amount of time in Europe, good amount of time down in Australia, New Zealand. Haven't made it to uh, you know uh, other parts of Asia yet. Um, some clever people out there. Oh yeah, you know, like things that you would have probably not thought about. Like somebody took a different angle and like came out with a cool result. Um, but you don't know that until you talk to people, right? Because like everybody just thinks everybody's doing the same thing. But sometimes somebody comes up with something out of the box, and you're like, huh, would have never taken that road. Um, so it's just really cool to see that regardless of, you know, the actual business model, some people 
you know, just liked tinker enough that they figure out a new way. And so mm-hmm. I love learning those new ways. And like the only way to do that is to communicate. And some people do that by time on a keyboard. I like to do that in person, just my preference. Uh, but uh, some definitely some clever, some clever people in IT services land out there. Well, and, and going back to the franchise idea, in theory, that's one of the benefits of the franchise too, is if one of your other franchisee locations has a good idea, hopefully that gets disseminated you know, through the network. With, with uh, computer troubleshooters, we, one of our franchisees in the US came up with a residential managed services plan, which wasn't for everybody because not everybody wanted to service residential, but it was a huge hit uh, for especially those rural locations. And it was a huge hit in some other countries too. So Never came from us, never came from the head office, but came from a franchisee, just like uh, going back to McDonald's. The Big Mac was not an invention of McDonald's corporate. It was a franchisee invention, obviously became very popular, got, you know, disseminated out. And now it's, you know, the flagship for the company, I guess. So, yeah, hopefully that's one of the benefits in a franchise network. 100%. If you were to zoom out now that you've kind of been out of it for a little while, but like, obviously you're still, you know, circling the the orbit of, of the industry here. 20 years later, did things end up the way that you thought that they were going to end up or did you, were you surprised by anything? In terms of the business or in terms yeah. of the industry? No, both. Um, I mean, no, uh, <laughs> being honest, I, I mean, you know, there were certainly a lot of things that the, 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 the uh, premise of the IT franchise stays the same, right? Like mm-hmm. I said, it, it's still about organizing a group of people to offer that value um, to the customer and organizing economies of scale and knowledge sharing that, that facilitate it happening. That I think is, is solid and will always be you know, the same, but it's really hard at a franchisor level to um, adapt as quickly as you need to, especially in a technology industry where things are changing so often. It's really hard. It's like herding cats to try to get all your franchisees to go along with it when you do change. And so, um, yeah, for that part of it, if I was going to do it differently today, there's definitely different choices I would make for sure. Uh, And I think that's true of of all the franchises. Of the franchises that are left today, Computer Troubleshooter, CMIT, Team Logic, any others that are out there, um, at least from from what I can tell from the outside, from the public-facing documents and whatnot, they're all different than they were 10 years ago. Um, It's just a, you know, it's it's the nature of the business. It's going to be different. No, 100%. I know not too long ago, was it CMIT said that they got to a hundred million across mm-hmm. the entire, you know, all the franchises as a collective, mm-hmm. which is a pretty cool number, by the way, right? Like yeah. congratulations to be able to get to that benchmark. And then of course, you know, they have outside investors and, you know, I'm sure they want to see them get to 200 million if they could help it or more. But um, it's really interesting to see just generally through the MSP landscape that and I know the number, I don't know what your number is. I ask this every time, like how many MSPs or IT service providers are there? Is there 70,000? Is there 150,000? Is there 30,000? I don't know. Everybody's number seems to be you know, widely different. But there is a lot of M&A because of outside money that's come into the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's 600 transactions a year or something like that. I, I think that was, you know, I read that somewhere, but, you know, Long term, right? Do you just see, do you see net new people come into this industry or is it just going to get rolled up into mega companies? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I wonder about that a lot. In fact, I was, I'm in a mastermind group with some other um, IT veterans and we were talking about this just recently. I, I think there's always going to be 
room for new people. Um, it may be a different type business model. I mean, there's nobody, you know, I, I made a ton of money in 1995 installing CD-ROM upgrades. Nobody's ever going to do that again. Um, but again, the, the proposition to the customer is still the same. Find a place where they need value and, and set yourself up for it. Maybe that's, you know, chat GPT consulting. Maybe it's, uh, you know, voice over IP solutions. Maybe it's, uh, you know, online marketing solutions. Um, but whatever it is, there's still that role for the trusted advisor, right? The the person that that, that small business or that medium-sized business is going to trust with their technology. And it's really, really hard for a big business to do that. I mean, there, there's definitely, you know, situations where obviously AT&T and Dell and even Microsoft, I think now are doing it. But what I've seen most of the time is whenever there's that kind of acquisition, there's a big drop off in customers, you know, because there's some customers that just don't want to be serviced by a bigger company. They yeah. want their computer person. You know, they want their consultant, the person they trust, the person that knows their systems, the person that, uh, you know, came to their daughter's wedding and, you know, whatever else. That personal relationship is always needed. And with the just the turnover and kind of the lack of commitment, um, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, a lot of great employees working at a lot of great big companies out there. But it's hard because, you know, you might be doing a great job. You might have a great customer base. But then a better job comes along and, you know, you, you take the opportunity and then that customer has got to go find their next trusted advisor. That's 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 hard. So that's where I think that the independent guys, the smaller companies, not necessarily, you know, one man shops, but, you know, the 10 and 20 man shops where they can build that more personal relationship. I think there'll always be a place for that. No, that's good. I mean, very true. Uh, you know, like I don't think any big company, even Microsoft, has figured out how to solve the small market question mark right so is that, is that last mile yeah yeah that's definitely it so like let's talk about learning and like mm. everybody learns in a different way i mean mm. i mean obviously schools have been around for a long long time mm. and like some people are visual people some people are hands-on people some people need to read the book in order to obtain the information some people need to work go through the work yeah the workbook in order to get there um some people like videos and then they can pause rewind i, I don't know like i'm a hands-on guy like mm -hmm. as a person that was, you know, growing up, if I saw it, I retained it. But if I had to read it, I got disinterested. What do you, what, mm -hmm. you know, like, how do you counter for the different learning styles? So, yeah, that, it's a loaded question in a way. I, I've learned that, you know, just like how in the, the IT channel, there's people who are very opinionated about certain things. In the learning and development world, there are also people who are very opinionated about certain things. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that if we ever have a social media post or a blog post that talks about learning styles, we're going to get jumped on because there's a lot of people that believe there's no such thing that, yeah, people might have a preference in the moment, but that's not a like fundamental thing or whatever. Be that as it may. It definitely is. I don't know how they, you know, like talk to any educator anywhere, like when they get, when they have to go to learn to finally get to the position where they can teach people, this is what they're taught, right? Like, yeah. Is it, you know, all right, let me rewind before you answer that question. <laughs> Do you believe the chain, like the, 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 the whole, the chain's only as good as the weakest link when it comes to the learning process? I don't know. Like, this is all part of the whole, how do you teach, how do people learn and what's the best way to get the most amount of people to absorb? I, I think the key, especially for us, uh, you know, both the bigger brains and in the IT channel, the, I think the key is looking at it from the employer perspective, right? So I used to 
you know, make my living helping people make their computers faster. And then later it was making their network faster. And then later it was making their internet faster. But there's always this need to, you know, the, the, the weak link is oftentimes, you know, between the keyboard and the chair, right? And that's that's been a piece that we haven't really been able to address. As an employer, uh, I know that, you know, my people, we have about 25 people at Bigger Brains. I, I know that everybody here is, you know, wonderful people. And they all have a certain level of skill in different areas, but I know that they could all be doing their job better, whatever that means, faster, better quality, better customer you know, uh, responses or whatever, if they had, you know, more skills, more experience. Now, one way is just, you know, over time, you know, somebody who's been doing the job for five years is hopefully going to be better than somebody who's been doing the job for one year. But the whole goal of training is to expedite that, right, and to get them up to a level where, um, I, as an employer, can feel confident that they're operating at a certain, you know, a certain level. You know, like a, a big thing nowadays is chat GPT, right? And, uh, you know, whether or not you can leverage something like chat GPT or another generative AI in your business or not depends a lot on the business. But if it is one where you can, then those businesses that have employees that know how to use it are going to be more productive, be more successful, be more profitable than those who don't. So as an employer, I'd love to, to get all my employees learning ChatGPT or, or similar programs. Maybe that means, um, you know, we're talking about it in company-wide meetings, which we have internally. Maybe it means we're, uh, you know, assigning people to projects where they're, they're going to, you know, experiment with how they might integrate it into whatever their role is in the company, which we've done. But part of that, too, is, you know, a formal training process where we can say, okay, you know, follow this video series or read this book so that you've got a good idea of what all the fundamentals are. And then you can figure out, you can experiment, you can play around with how that actually applies to your position. Um, and to your point, you know, some people do it differently. Some people would rather do more formal training and, before they jump in, or they might just need it because they're less familiar with the topic. And some people like you and me are more, well, let's dive into it and see. But still, it's nice to have, you know, that that reference. Uh, I my car, uh, the battery died last week, which it sounds like a segue, but it's really not because the doors wouldn't open. Uh, it's it's you know, electric door locks and they didn't know. And this one also when I found out the manual key didn't work for my car either. And so long story, we got in the, got in the car and the tow truck driver came and we're trying to figure out how to release the transmission, how to move it out of park. And again, no power can't do it. So we wind up, you know, messing around, trying all kinds of things, couldn't figure it out. Finally go on YouTube, find a YouTube video on how to release the, you know, release it out of park. And both of us watched her for about 30 seconds and said, right, got it. Pull the ashtray out. There's a magic switch down there. You know, got it. But we needed that little bit of formal training to make our playing around with it more, you know, effective. Because otherwise we were just kind of know, messing stuff up. So it's an Audi, uh, Audi Q5. Okay. All electric? No, it's it's a it's a gas engine. It's just all the door locks, all the you know the emergency brake, everything else was electric. So when the, and the battery just died, died like nothing, no lights, no nothing. So yeah, nothing nothing working on the car. So I guess the old school, hey, let's put the uh, hanger down the side of the window to unlock the door. Doesn't work, huh? That worked. <laughs> That's how I got the door open. <laughs> um, it didn't work with the emergency brake or the or the transmission, but it worked with getting me in the car though. That's good. That's good to know. Much to my wife's surprise. Yeah, Audi out there. <laughs> um, so fair. That's a great example, right? Because like, I didn't have to read anything. It was very quick. I got to my answer. Power of the internet. Awesome. Mm -hmm. um, does the, rem let me, let me, let me come at you this way. All right. Does the remote 
in a hybrid working situation change the speed at which people are learning? Like back in the day, you're all in an office, like there's like this transfer of knowledge that's happening kind of in a constantly rolling way, right? Yeah. Now everybody's in a remote place in a lot of areas. Like I feel like it takes longer to get the information through because you don't have that side-by-side action happening. No, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I, and I think you've got to be, as an employer, you've got to be more intentional about those things, like even at Bigger Brain. So we have, obviously, you know, our courses are all video-based. We have a lot of video editors. Some of our video editors are remote. Actually, all of our video editors can be remote, but some of them are close enough they come in the office most days. And so like already three or four times today, I've seen people walking over to other people's cubes to answer a question about, you know, how do you do this and that. That's great for the people who are here. Yeah. For the people who are not, you know, you need to make sure that you're uh, being intentional about including them in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in our case, we have uh, weekly meetings w- with each team where they can kind of go through some of that stuff, do screen sharing if they need to. And of course, I'll, we always have the chat, you know, where they can go and ask questions. But I think having some structured formal learning helps with that also. You know, so in our case, uh, you know, obviously everybody here has access to bigger brains, but we don't have video editing training. So we also pay for them to have, you know, uh, LinkedIn learning or Pluralsight or, or whatever they want. So we'll make that a part of it as long as they show they're actually using it to help benefit their job. No, that's, I mean, listen, that's awesome. I mean, back to how MSPs hire people and onboard those people. And then the back end of that is like how people like grow through, you know, like nobody wants to stay in the same role forever, right? They want some mm. sort of path forward, right? Um, this is this whole one, two, three that I just laid out has been, I don't know some kryptonite for this industry for it's ever since I've walked into it. Cause like even mm. today when everyone's like, Hey, what are you struggling with? Hiring and retaining seems to still be in the top three every time. Yeah, and like absolutely. it's never fallen out of that. So I just, this has to be part of it, right? This conversation, right? Like how do you identify people that are a willing to learn or B have the actual skill set, And then like you need to progress those people over time because technology is always changing and people want to ultimately grow somehow. Yeah. And, you know, I, well, I, I can tell you the mistakes that I've made. Um, you know, the, the first mistake I made was because I am mostly self-taught. And so I didn't understand why my technicians weren't just learning stuff on their own. And, you know, there is a difference between, you know, somebody who, like us as starting businesses and has that kind of motivation, which is not necessarily just the entrepreneurs. There are also employees who are motivated to grow in their careers and they want to learn and they want to grow. And that's the kind of person that you want, quite frankly, unless they're going to you know grow and then go start a competitive business, which has happened. But, you know, even so you don't know. So you still, you still invest. And then there's some that are maybe, you know, less willing, you know, for the ones who are willing, there's a lot of, there's a lot of studies. There's a lot of evidence that, uh, they are looking for employment opportunities where they can grow, right? So if they don't get that opportunity from you, they're going to go look for it somewhere else. So I think you have to start with the idea that you, if they want to grow, you have to help them grow. You know, whether that means sending them to classes, sending them to conferences, uh, giving them new projects to work on, um, playing around with rotating them to different roles. You know, Sometimes you'll get a technician that evolves into a salesperson. Sometimes you get a salesperson that evolves into a technician You know, or, or you know, who knows. So, and that's something that I was never very good at because, again, I 
I hired somebody for a position and that's the position they were supposed to do. And I didn't think twice about it. And, you know, looking back on it, yeah, I was pretty stupid, but I was 20 something years old when I started my first business. So yeah, I didn't know any better. Um, so I, I think giving those kinds of formal opportunities internally is always good um, because, you know, the, the, there's that old saying, um, you know, what happens if we train our employees and they leave? What happens if we don't train them and they stay? You know, you want to have the best team you can have, whatever that whatever that might mean. And if it does mean that, you know, you train somebody up, you give them opportunities and they do move on to something bigger and better outside your company, you know, that's going to happen. But maybe maybe things will cycle through. Maybe they'll come back into a new role someday. You know, you don't know. No, that's fair. So. Obviously, you this business, Bigger Brain, spawned from you know, the, the whole computer troubleshooters journey, right? We talked about. Mm -hmm. So like when you left, you know, like when the whole computer, computer troubleshooting thing came to an end for you and you decided to start Bigger Brains, did you say, hey, there was enough foundation here to build off of what we already did? Or did you hit the reset button and say, this is a great idea, but we need to change the way that we're doing it? Well, I mean, the business is very different. Right. Uh, I, and in fact, when I first started Bigger Brains, there were a lot of people that were like, you know, th they knew me from franchising, which I mean, there's there's the IT business, which is kind of its own entity. And so you've got a business structure there with, you know, how you how you hire, how you structure, how you monetize that business. Mm -hmm. And then there's franchising, which is really a whole kind of meta additional level on top of that. You know, how does the franchise or work? How do you structure that? How do you recruit and support franchisees? And once you learn franchising, you see a lot of these franchise companies that get into multi-brand situations, because once you've got the, the legal and the accounting and some of the marketing pieces of franchising, you know, just like the franchise itself, you can leverage those across multiple brands. So I, I say all that to say, once I started Bigger Brains, there were a lot of people that thought, oh, he's going to turn that into a franchise. And they would even tell me, I remember having a um, meeting with uh, Alan at ASCII one time, and he was telling me he thought Bigger Brains would, would be a great uh, kind of franchise organization. And maybe, but I, I didn't see that as being a natural fit for, for what we're doing here. Uh, we did start off with the idea of being a, a channel-centric organization, but never a channel-exclusive organization. So while we knew we were going to be building the training platform and, and making it something that MSPs could use in their businesses, we also had to learn the corporate training side of things, which really was a very different world in a lot of different ways. And there was really nothing from my past that could have prepared me for that side of things. Um, in some ways, it's much easier. Uh, and in some ways, it's much, much harder. It's like everything else. It's just different. So um, yeah, it, the only things I really leveraged from the past were knowledge of the channel and, and, and for that part of the business, for the MSP part of our business, which is a significant part of the business. But the structure of bigger brains is totally different than what we did before. So tell me about the MSP option for bigger brains. Like what do they mm -hmm. get out of it? What's the outcome of the program? Well, the biggest thing is um, that it's going to be an additional tool in your solution stack. It's going to be additional bullet point for your managed services plan, right? So Mr. Customer, Ms. Customer, you're going to be paying us X dollars a month, and we're going to support all your users. We're going to monitor all your endpoints. We're going to back up all your data. We're going to make sure that you're secure. And we're going to make sure that all of your staff has unlimited training in Microsoft Office, Microsoft 365, QuickBooks, HIPAA, sexual harassment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so th that's really the, the value prop is to, to be that extra bullet point on the, you know, on the service plan 
which for some customers is nothing. You know, some customers, it makes no impact. And for some customers, it's huge. Uh, we had, with, with my last MSP, which was a local, it was a computer troubleshooters uh, franchisee here in, in South Carolina when I moved here, uh, we had an opportunity to bid on a, a local nonprofit that was pretty large, uh, but we knew that they already had a service plan with the only other MSP in the county, and we knew they were happy with them. So we figured, okay, they're putting it out for bid because they have to, you know, and we'll have to give a quote, but they're not going to choose us. Uh, but we put out our bid and they did choose us, which was a shock. And they told us later the reason that they did was because of the training option, because they, they're a nonprofit. They have a lot of volunteers. There's a lot of people who are you know, donating their time but don't really know how to do the job. They don't know how to use the software. They don't know how to use it effectively. And so the idea of giving all of them access to the Microsoft Office training, the QuickBooks training, the business communication training was a big selling point for them. So for some of those, you know, it, it's a big deal. And the goal is, uh, you know, if you've got customers who are, embedded in your training solution. And we've seen some MSPs in particular who've gotten really good about helping their customers build out custom training, right? So if they're using the training platform for their own employee onboarding, you know, here's how we do our time clocks. Here's how we do, uh, you know, our benefits. Here's how, uh, you know, we prepare our products. Here's how we do our manufacturing, whatever. Once they have that training content built into the platform, it becomes really hard for them to leave because if they're mm -hmm. going to leave your MSP, not only are they going to have to find another MSP, they're going to have to find a new training platform too. And that's going to be thousands of dollars in most cases. You know, so it's, it, it's, it's one of those sticky solutions that I think really helps. Yeah, that's interesting because I think MSPs don't think that they're in the, you know, they feel, I feel like MSPs largely think they've been plumbing this whole time, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> there's an issue, yeah. you get a phone call, leaky pipe, go fix it. Or, mm -hmm. hey, I'm putting in something new because there's, you know, this room, this bathroom didn't exist before. But like, how often do they get to inject themselves into like the corporate day-to-day, -day, you know, kind of decision-making of a, of, a, of a company? Like the trusted advisor thing sounds nice, but like you may only be talking with one person within the organization when you're going through that planning process, mm -hmm. not necessarily in the upper, you know, through all the echelons of people in the organization. Um, I, I, I also think that, you know, if, you, if you've looked at anybody's ticketing system for the last five, eight, 10 years, you always have those people in the organization that you were like, this person should step away from the keyboard <laughs> and maybe never touch a computer ever again. And it's like the person that calls to have their password reset every day. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, why does this, <laughs> why is this happening? Yeah. So I hope that this option is like a way to try and at least bring the medium, like knowledge level up when it comes to all things tech. Yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly the hope. And, and I think you're exactly right. That, that's probably one of the constants in the 30 plus years I've been in the channel is there's always that difference in perception, both with us as IT service providers and with the customer on whether we are reactive or proactive, right? Are, are we just there to solve the problems when they happen? Or are we looking for ways to help that customer, you know, be better with technology or help their business improve, you know, whatever it means. And the nature of that's always changed over time, right? But it's still, it's still the same. And it's something we have to address internally, but then we have to get the customer to understand it too. So they're not thinking of us as the screwdriver guy. They're thinking of us as, you know, hey, here's a business need we have. Let me call George and see if he has any thoughts on how we might how we might apply that. And I, I think that too, that's where adding training kind of helps because it helps kind of flip that light switch for the customer that, oh, you know, they're more than just, you know, networking. 
they also do this. Well, now I wonder if they can help us with our, you know, AI initiative or, you know, whatever the case may be. And maybe you can, maybe you can't, but it opens the door to that conversation and, and you, you do what you can. No, hundred percent. So like, how is this, like, is it, is the program structured where the MSP pays based on how many clients they have, how many employees mm-hmm. are signed into it? Like, how do they turn around and like either include this into their stack or is like maybe offers this as a separate option that they monetize? How, how, how do you see people usually do this? Yeah, that's a good question. So on our side, we charge uh, basically based on active users. Um, so, and the cost to the MSP in very low quantities is about four bucks a user per month, but most MSPs are paying somewhere around 50 cents per user per month. Um, so it's it's very low cost, and that includes you know a full training library, 230 courses, 4,500 videos, plus the ability to add their own content, customer can add their own content, all those things. Um, in terms of the monetization on the on the flip side, really the best results we've seen have been from MSPs who either um, include it with all their service plans or who include it with their upper tier service plans. You know, if they're doing a gold silver, maybe this is part of the upsell, you know, to the gold. Um, for the ones who have monetized it separately. Uh, it's generally a per user per year cost. I usually recommend starting at about 100 bucks per user per year in low quantities, and that can go down to maybe 50 bucks per user per year in, in higher quantities. Um, but that's very competitive. If you look at what they would pay for a third-party solution, um, even the cheapest solutions out there are going to be, you know, a few dozen dollars per user per month or per year just for the platform. And then you add the content on top of it, and that's at least double. So. Uh, any comparable solution the customer might get is going to be many times what the MSP is paying. Now, truth be told, most small business customers, not all, but most, aren't actively looking for a training solution, right? They're too busy, you know, keeping the lights on, you know, putting out fires, doing the day-to-day. Um, but it's just like we've always done. When I first got started, a big part of our marketing message with ChipTech back in the day was that we were bringing that same tech support, that same IT consulting that big enterprises got from their internal tech staff, we were bringing that to a small business, you know, through our services. It's the same thing here. Uh, You know, those uh, internal training uh, systems, the internal learning management system that a lot of big corporations have that a a small business owner might think, well, that's just outside of my scope. I can't, you know, that's for the big businesses. It's not for me. Well, now, you know, their MSP can bring that to them for, you know, pennies per month or, you know, a few dollars per month and give them all those same capabilities the big boys have. No, that, that, I mean, ultimately, the you know, like as time goes on, it's like called the TV syndrome, right? Like back in the day when TVs were really expensive, right? You're like, mm. can't afford that. Now you can get any TV for about 200 bucks. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, so like over time, I get it. I mean, how often are you refreshing the content though, right? Mm. Like because technologies, I mean, micro, I think Office 365 puts updates out quarterly. Uh, I don't oh, know if they're meaningful, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it's monthly for a lot of the apps. Teams does a monthly update. Um, I, I know like SharePoint does too, for not every month, most months. So yeah, it's a constant challenge. Um, we review all the courses uh, annually. Most of the courses, if they're cloud-based, get an update annually. Um, the uh, Some of them like Excel 2019, uh, generally with the, the older, the you know traditional software courses, they usually get one update in their lifetime because Microsoft actually does, I don't know how many folks still use the like Excel or Office 2019, Office 2016 suites anymore, but Microsoft does change those over time too. Not as much, but they're also prone to taking away features. Like they've turned off features in 2016 and 2019 after Mm -hmm. a couple of years. 
And so we got to go through our course and see, okay, we got a whole lesson on this thing they took away. Um, that lesson's got to come out, or they've added this new thing. They used to have a thing with access where you could build web apps with access, um, which not a lot of people use access, but apparently that was an even less popular feature because it disappeared a couple of years after we made the course. We had to go back in and take out all the lessons that referred to it, you know, things like that. So all of our cloud-based courses, generally annually, um, we try to do them more often, but the way we do our courses, we film everything in a TV studio, everything's got two people on camera. And so when we do the course updates, we got to bring the teacher and learner back. Usually we got to make sure they're, you know, looking reasonably the same as they did before, you know, in the same outfits and, you know, hairstyles is a whole different thing, but uh, so it, it's a little bit more intensive for us to update our courses than it would for somebody who's just like, you know, lecturing over a screenshot kind of a thing. But people like our courses a lot better. That's why we do it. So, yeah, I, I could probably pull it off with the bald look. I mean, that 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 hairstyle pretty. pretty <laughs> that doesn't change over time. Hundred um, percent. Big picture, right? Zooming out. Is mm -hmm. your program designed for the end user of the MSP? and the internal MSP, like level one, level two, level three guy, or is it large, you know, or, or is it one or the other? Is it both? It's for the most part, it's hundred percent focused on the end user um, with the caveat, like, so my last MSP, which was clever text here in, in South Carolina, I ran that from 2011 to 2018. And then I sold it. My, my service manager, my partner has it now. Um, so there was an overlap, right? Because Bigger Brain started in 2012. So there was like six years where I had both. And even though all of our courses were end user focused, what I found was that a lot of my technicians, especially the, um, you know, the hardware guys, knew nothing about SharePoint, uh, knew very little, if anything, about Teams, nothing when it came out, obviously, were not great with Excel. You know, it, did, it didn't come up in their, in their normal job, you know. But when they were interacting with customers, you know, the natural thing is customers are going to ask them questions, right? Hey, how can I do this? How can I store this information? Or how, I want to do something where I can track this sort of thing. And they would, you know, they, they would have an answer, but whether it was a good answer or not was, you know, a different story. If I was, you know, fortunate, they would bring it back to myself or one of the T3 guys. And, you know, they would set up you know, more of a consultation call, but a lot of times they just gave an answer. So I wanted those guys to understand what was out there, to understand what, their, what our customers had availability you know, uh, available to them, because most of our customers were paying for Office 365 back in the day, but they weren't using SharePoint. They weren't using Teams. They weren't using OneDrive, especially in the early days. Um, so from that standpoint, there's some of those courses that I think are useful for technicians, but they're at the end of the day, the courses are almost all focused on end users. There's one uh, N365 admin course and there's one HIPAA for MSPs course that would be the exception in our catalog, but everything else is end user focused. Mm, that's awesome. No, I mean, you definitely found something that people in technology land usually don't spend their time on. Let's be honest. Mm, yeah. Um, if they, you know, somebody created a document to hand to an end user or a how-to guide, or they put it, you know, I'd be surprised. I, I can't tell you how many times I run into MSPs. I'm like, just turn on your camera and just see where you go. With it. And they, they seem very averse to that. Um, it's very interesting that you went down this path. It makes perfect sense. I think end users need continual education when it comes to technology. And we know that they don't often continue that past a certain point or if at all. Um, I think if MSPs can either A, include this as a value add as part of their, hey, we're just trying to give you a holistic solution. Or if they go to someone and say, hey, listen, we'll offer this as an a la carte. 
it's just something that's just another tool in their toolbox. And there's a lot of them. I think sometimes though, <laughs> uh, people get the uh, trade show swiper effect where they buy a bunch of stuff and then they like, oh, yeah. wait a minute, what did I ever do with this? <laughs> um, hopefully that's, that doesn't happen often here, but um, I know you spent a fair amount of time integrating into some of the apps and tools that MSPs use for like mm. portals and stuff. So that that way their customers can like access your stuff all in one place, right? Yeah, make it easier. We've got integration with uh, Cloud Radial and Desk Director. We've got an integration with uh, Envarosoft. We integrate with Azure AD directly. And of course, we have uh, apps for Microsoft Teams and WebEx to bring it up that way. And the biggest thing is we integrate with the MSP's website too uh, to make it easier on that side. But you know, I, I think you're right that it's not, um, it's definitely not something that most MSPs spend a lot of time on. You know, it's very ancillary to our core product, right? I say our like I'm still an MSP, but I used to be. I mean, you time. are. Let's be honest. Uh, yeah, but but, but it is, you know, and, and yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you know, what I hear from a lot of MSPs is, um, well, you know, only ten percent of my users are using it, so I'm not sure it's effective. In my mind, the biggest thing, and don't get me wrong, we care a lot about the quality of our courses. We put a lot of effort into them, but at the end of the day. If the fact that you said that you offer training on your brochure, on your proposal, on your website, help that customer to see you as more of a big picture, you know, IT consultant, more of that trusted advisor and less of the screwdriver guy. Um, if it helped you to sell some service plans, even if they didn't use the training, in my mind, it's done its job. Now, we want people to use it more, but... At the end of the day, that's how the MSPs are going to make money from it is by using the training to help their customers see more value and what else the MSP is offering. No, that's fair. And your your example was great. I was kind of shocked. You said there was only one other MSP in the county. How many people live in that county? <laughs> 130,000 130, people in the county. Wow. Uh, when I moved here, I did some research. I found about six other IT companies. But, but just to give you an idea, and I granted this is 10 years ago. Well, this is probably eight years ago, this story, but we had a law firm that um, we actually set up a, a voice over IP system for, but they had a guy that was their IT provider. They were happy with him. They didn't want to leave him, but he had heart surgery. And so they had an issue while well, he was like the day after his heart surgery, they had an issue. And so they called me up and I went out to, to service them. And I, I, they were, I forget what it was. It was something simple. I had him back up and running. But as I'm leaving their office, the guy who just had heart surgery, the IT consultant comes walking in the door literally with bandages. And uh, I, I said, you know, dude, what, what are you doing here? I, I knew the guy. And he said, well, you know, they, uh, I, I got to make sure their server's not down. And I said, well, you know, you can, you can do that remotely. And he goes, oh, you mean like PC anywhere? I was like, yeah, but no, <laughs> you know, th 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 there's a lot of, especially in smaller towns, especially in rural areas, I think there's a lot of people that can kind of just get stuck into their own little bubble. And they don't know, you know, they don't come to conferences, they don't pay attention to websites, they don't, they don't, they don't interface with others enough to know that there's this bigger world out there. And so, yeah, when I came to town, there was only one other true MSP who, you know, you could tell they had all the Robin Robbins marketing stuff and, and you know, they, they, they actually knew what they were doing. They had decent vendors, they had decent support, and they're still, they're statewide now, they're doing pretty well. But uh, yeah, everybody else was very break fix and very trunk slammer break fix, uh, old school days. PC anywhere. Oh, Lord. Yeah. When's the last time you heard that? <laughs> uh, it's been a long time. Uh, I, but by the way, for its day, it was pretty good. I got to give him credit. Yeah. It was one of the early, like, pre-log me in, pre-team viewer, pre-screen connect, right? Like, talking like, 
that was part of the remote access stack out there. The early 90s, it was fantastic. Late 90s, yeah. it was okay. 2000s, uh, you know. Yeah, it's the, then it started going downhill for sure. Chip, where do people find more information about the program? Uh, like, how does the MSP part of it work? The integration with the MSP tools? Like, where do they go? So we got a, a special MSP website at biggermsp.com. Makes it easy. Yeah, perfect. Biggermsp.com. And I'm sure if they really wanted to talk to you, you'd find a way to jump onto a call with them or somebody from your Oh, company. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, find me at uh, LinkedIn or getbiggerbrains.com is our corporate site. Yeah, find me. I'm happy to set up a call anytime. Awesome. Man, you've, you've, <laughs> you've had a unique journey through MSP land. I, I really, I love the... Um, I love how everybody has a different path, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You know what? We all learn from each other. And, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, I said, hey, what was, you know, if you, if you fast forwarded, did you guess it right for 10 years? You said, yes. I wonder what it looks like 10 years from now. Oh, yeah. Like, could be, you know, hopefully we're all on a beach somewhere enjoying, uh, <laughs> enjoying some beverages. But uh, it'd be interesting to see, fast forward, how much it changes and how much things stay the same. Yeah, the part that'll always be the same though is that value piece. As long as we're offering value to our customers, you know, there'll be a there'll be a job for us. Hundred percent, Chip. I really appreciate you jumping on, guys. This session was recorded. You'll find it a little bit later on on MSPinitiative.com under sessions. That way you can rewind and be like, "Hey, man, this guy has a couple of cool things. I wanted to pick out of here. No problem. It's all there." The bigger brains team, I think, you know, tends to sometimes find themselves on the road. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, you know, as we back go into the back end of the year here where it's like conference season, uh, I'm sure we'll see somebody from bigger brain somewhere. Yeah. We'll be at channel con and at big, big and at, uh, one of James Kerman's Kernan's mastermind events. And I'm not sure what else Nancy has planned for us. Awesome. Well, we're, you know, very interested to obviously run into people in person, Chip, I'm sure I'll run into you at some point in person somewhere. Yeah. But, I hope so. uh, thanks. Thanks for your time, my friend. Thanks for inviting me. You got it. Have a good one guys.